Today's Locked On Kings podcast is presented by CBDMD. Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done. But don't worry, because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to help you unwind and sleep well. Sleep PM bath salts fuse superior CBD and melatonin with a mixture of Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bathtub into a luxury spa experience and give you the relaxation you desperately deserve. And to make it even easier to relax, regroup, and recharge, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off of your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com, promo code NBA, for 25% off your next purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Wow, you are in for an amazing episode of Locked on Kings today. And that's not just me tooting my own horn. In fact, you're going to hear very little of me. You're going to hear from Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated, who joins me to talk about Chris Webber and Rick Adelman's cases for the Hall of Fame. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of time talking about some incredible statistical accomplishments that Chris Webber has made in his career, putting him amongst elite, elite company. Also, Howard is going to talk about the Kings' approach to this upcoming trade deadline. Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, what the Kings should ask for them, what they should expect, whether or not a deal should and will get done. And finally, Howard is going to share his thoughts on the trade that I negotiated with the Locked On Cavs podcast that would send Buddy Heald to Cleveland. It's a long one, but you're going to want to listen to every second of today's Locked On Kings podcast. Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all offseason. If you're looking for in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of the Sacramento Kings from January through December, this is the place for you, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I've been a Sacramento sports radio host for the last six years. This is season number seven for me, covering the Kings, both as an on-air host and a multimedia journalist. And when I tell you I get national experts on this podcast, it doesn't get much better than Howard Beck, who has come on the pod multiple times to talk Kings. It is always a treat when he comes on, so please enjoy my conversation with him. I think you're going to be very intrigued and entertained. In order to limit the interruptions of my conversation with Howard, I'm going to get to some early sponsorship thank yous, starting with Locker Room. Locker Room is the live, audio-only sports talk platform that is free to download and to use. You can talk to myself, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time, including multiple locked-on hosts. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Now, unfortunately, as of right now, Locker Room is only available on iOS and not Android. But when Locker Room does become available for Android users, which will be in the near future, I am committing to doing live Locker Room Locked on Kings podcasts for you, whether it's during games, during the offseason, after a major trade, when Locker Room becomes available for Android users, I will commit to using it. And if you are an Android user, make sure you're keeping an eye out for when this app drops. iOS users, take advantage of it right now. You can engage with fan bases, with insiders, with players themselves who put on live shows on the Locker Room app. It is a phenomenal way to connect with people and follow your favorite team or even follow a league. 
All you need to do is download the Locker Room app, which is free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Multiple Locked On podcast hosts and shows do live Locker Room shows already. Again, Locked On Kings coming very, very soon to that. And regardless of where you go on the Locker Room app, get involved in that community and make sure you bring your spiciest take. Today's show is also brought to you by Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets combat all forms of ED and can help men gain extra confidence for when it's time to perform. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredients and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no problems here. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can try Blue Chew for free when you use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. It's a real treat to be able to have Howard Beck on. Last time he was with us here on the Locked On Kings podcast, I was speaking to him as uh, a member of Bleacher Report. Now things have changed a little bit as Howard Beck is uh, a writer, provides phenomenal NBA national coverage for Sports Illustrated. So excited to be able to have a little bit of Howard's time here on the Locked On Kings podcast, especially with so much going on. Howard, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Thank you for making the time here. Uh, I'm looking forward to picking your brain about a lot of things today <laughs> no thanks for having me matt appreciate it good to be back and uh and yes good to be at sports illustrated as well very uh very happy very happy there so recently your most recent article for sports illustrated was actually you building a case for why chris weber should be uh in the hall of fame and i actually love the uh the the sub headline here that you put it said the early 2000s was an era of elite power forwards of every sort and not one of them combined a skill set as complete as chris weber's what's interesting is the power forward position has tra- changed drastically in the modern NBA to where now it, you have more of a small forward skill set than you do a, like a, a big man skill set. And Weber had a lot of elements to that back when he played uh, in the uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, especially during his glory days here with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but you're right in talking about in this article, and I don't want to spoil too much because I want everybody to go and read this article because it's incredible. But the amount of power forward talent in the NBA at the time that Weber played, I feel like we don't talk about that enough, Howard. Yeah, I think people have kind of lost track of that. And, you know, obviously it's, you know, well ingrained in my head because I was covering the Lakers during that time from 97 to 2004. And so not only did I see a lot of the Kings and a lot of Chris Weber and a lot of Chris Weber having a lot of really great games against the Lakers, I saw this this entire span of elite players at that position like that was the glamour spot back then or it was one of the glamour positions 
um, this is the era of not just Chris Weber, of course, but Rashid Wallace and Kevin Garnett mm-hmm. and Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki. And it's still the tail end of Carl Malone's career. And the tail end of Carl Malone's career was still pretty spectacular. Charles Barkley overlaps there and on and on. Like, like Sean Kemp when, you know, certainly earlier in C-Web's career. It's just incredible, actually. I think even for me, having lived through it and covered, uh, you know, a lot of that era, when I went back to work on this piece, uh, which ran uh, Monday on SI.com, as I was going through it all, going, all right, well, how many all NBA teams did Weber make again? And who else was in his way for those years? Blah, blah, blah. And you start looking at the list and on and on and on. It's like, oh, my gosh, like it was just, it's incredible, the talent. Like Antonio McDice before his knees went. Mm-hmm. Amari Stoudemire early in his career. So if you look at Weber's heyday, his best years, you know, and I, I highlighted a nine-year span in particular for statistical purposes. And a nine years is a pretty good sample size, too, obviously, for, for a judging a guy's career. But even if it's just in that span, the guys that he overlapped with, are, it's, it's incredible. And then he had to go and, and compete against those guys every single night. And so when we look at the, you know, the broad strokes of Chris Weber's resume and how Hall of Fame voters, whoever they may be, are evaluating it, and you go, well, five All-NBA nods, one first team, a couple of second teams, um, you know, five All-Star, All-Star. Like, those are, those are good numbers, good totals. You, you kind of want it to be higher, but the context is, look at who he was up against. Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan, already in the Hall of Fame. Carl Malone, Hall of Fame. Charles Barkley, Hall of Fame. Um, you know, even uh, you know, Chris Bosh, who he overlaps with it for, for, for parts of, of you know, tail, tail end of, of uh, Weber's career. Bosh is in this same um, uh, finalist class this year. Jermaine O'Neal, like on and on and on. There's just so much incredible talent at the position. Weber could have had more nods if he weren't um, playing in an era where the position was just so stacked. It's it's almost, it's not completely analogous to to the same Mike Conley today, who finally got in as a last minute, you know, substitute last week. But it's kind of like, you know, Mike, the Mike Conley effect where, and Weber at least got, you know, he got five all-star appearances. That's way more than zero. Um, But it is, it's the same effect when you look at, well, Mike Conley played in an era and in a conference where he had to deal with Steph Curry and James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard and on and on. And it's so anyway, um, I thought I laid down that context for two reasons. One to show why, you know, you know, just just to give the context of, of Weber's era and, and the talent he was up against, but also because, and I quote Robert Ori at length in this piece, um, you know, in Rob's view, Chris Weber had the most complete package, most complete skill set of all of them. And, that, and that's kind of my feeling too. Like, yes, Duncan was a better player than Chris Weber. No one's going to argue that. But Duncan had a couple things he just killed you with. <laughs> but they were usually closer to the basket, specific couple of moves and spots on the floor. Weber, as, as your listeners, I'm sure know, he could get you from all over the place because he could put the ball on the floor and he could face up and he could post up and he could, he had a little jump hook and he had, you know, he's a great passer. Um, and so, you know, because he doesn't have the hardware, doesn't have the championships because he doesn't have quite the gaudy number of all-star or all NBA nods. And partially because of that micro fracture surgery on his knee back in Oh three or whenever that was, he doesn't have the resume that leaps out in the same way. But um I've got some other career stats here. I can, I can, we can get to in a minute, but to show, you know, how he stands up against uh, some of the all-time greats, but there's no question in my mind 
and people can argue about what the standard should be for the Hall of Fame and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's no question in my mind, based on who's in the Hall of Fame and based on what Weber did in his best nine-year stretch from about uh, 94 to 03, that he is absolutely deserving, and I think he belongs there. It's funny you're talking about going back and, and reliving and kind of reminding yourself what Chris Weber did. And I did the, kind of a similar thing on a much smaller scale when I produced a three-part uh, audio dec- uh, documentary on the 2001 or 2002 Sacramento Kings and, of course, all the, the heartbreak from that year. And I was having a tough uh, way of starting the documentary. I didn't want to just start at the beginning of that season. And I end up ended up starting on the significance of the Kings being able to get Chris Weber to re-sign in Sacramento and reliving that, reliving those negotiations when that deal went down, the relief for the city, the commitment for Weber uh, to this city with this core to uh, to hopefully make a NBA championship push. Uh, it, it was an incredible thing to to relive. So going through all that, and I'm I'm dying to hear the stats, Howard, that uh, that you have ready here uh, to to share with us about Chris Weber. But is it really? Is it just the main thing that he doesn't have a championship that's keeping him out? Is it the fact that he played in maybe smaller market Sacramento, even though they were the greatest show on court at the time? Is it also his his history, kind of his flashiness, but at times his attitude? Is it a combination of all these things? What really is it that is keeping that makes people so, I guess, stubborn when it comes to Chris Webber? You know, if you were asking fans, because I got, you know, some pushback on Twitter, but you can get pushback on Twitter for everything. You can say the sky is blue and you're going to get like, <laughs> you know, 30% of your followers are going to be like, you uh, you can't prove that, you know, the, the moon landing was faked. Um, so the people who push back, and this is, you know, this is fans, readers, whatever. Um, it's, he doesn't have the championship. He, you know, faded in big games or whatever, you know, the usual stuff. But the question is really about like, what do the Hall of Fame voters think? Because mm-hmm. they've had seven years, eight years already where they could have put him in and they haven't. And those questions are impossible to answer because we don't know who votes, how they vote, why they vote, what the standards are, what the rationale is. Um, we'll never know. We'll, you know, if he, if, if, if Weber makes it this year, great. We won't know why he made it and we won't know why he made it now, but not previously. Um, Michael Cooper is a finalist this year. Michael Cooper's last game was like 30 something years ago. <laughs> Michael Cooper has not improved his, his NBA resume. Excuse me. I should say basketball resume. I mean, he's, he's, he's coached. So maybe, maybe they're now taking into account his, his, his coaching, uh, in various places. I don't know. Um, it is the basketball hall of fame is something we always have to remind ourselves the basketball hall of fame, not the NBA hall of fame. Right. Everything you do matters. Um, at every level and, and they, you know, consider the totality of your career. Nevertheless, Michael Cooper has not significantly changed as a hall of fame candidate. I don't think. And now suddenly he's a finalist. So again, I don't know what the rhyme or reason is. I'm sure there is some sort of rhyme or reason, but we will never know it because the hall of fame is shrouded in secrecy. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, you know, like I say, it's not just that we don't know the votes, we don't know who's voting. So we have no way of, of being able to say, well, why is this guy in and why is, is this person not? Um, so anyway, uh, look, it could be, when, you know, it's all speculative. Is it because he accepted money from a booster at Michigan and their, their you know, final four appearances had to be vacated? I mean, I, I think that's ludicrous if that's the case. That's a classic case of, of you know, uh, hating the player instead of the, the instead of hating the game. Like, no, that's an NCAA problem. Yeah. That's the corruption of NCAA basketball problem. That is not a Chris Weber problem. That is not a player problem. Um, 
and it's going on all the time. It's just that most of the time it's not getting caught. Mm -hmm. So if that's what they're hung up on, that's horseshit. Um, if it's more about he didn't do enough um, in his, the course of his NBA career, I don't know. I mean, look, he had a great college career, and and those those Michigan teams, you know, the Fab Five was you know iconic, and 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 you know set the tone and and set style and set so many things. So, you know, if it's the totality of his career, which it's supposed to be, his college and NBA career combined should be enough. It can't be about the ring because plenty of guys are in the Hall of Fame who don't have rings. I think sometimes it was hard to evaluate those or evaluate Chris Webber in the context of those Kings teams. Cause I remember even at the time, like the highest he finished in the MVP voting, he was a, he was fourth one year. And then he's got a couple of sevenths and like a ninth or something. But the reason he was never higher on those MVP ballots, even the year the Kings won 61 is because the Kings were viewed as this ensemble and they were right. Mm -hmm. It's it, it wasn't just Chris Webber. He wasn't like a LeBron type of figure or a, or a Kevin Durant type of figure who was like the clear centerpiece of a team. Right. He, he was, the best player of them, but it was the combination of him and Vlade and Bibby and Peja and Hito and Doug Christie. Like it, it's the group that succeeded. It's the group that, and all right, you could say, well, that's just basketball. Yeah. But you know, you know, a Shaq and Kobe, when you see him, right. You know, a, uh, a LeBron, a Dwayne Wade, like there's certain guys who, who that's, that's clearly why this team is, is, is the best. Yeah. In the Kings case, it was always kind of they were the team that was like better than the sum of their parts. Um, but there's also no question in my mind that Chris Webber was the most important of those parts mm -hmm. and had and and was the most productive of them all. But I think it was hard harder for people to view him in that context. You know, it's funny. Um, some of his his peers of the era who have recently been inducted, you know, Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill, Grant Hill before all of his injuries was this like you know he was considered a next jordan um candidate right t-mac was, was was in that conversation at one point and they also just had these spectacular dynamic entertaining games and i think that that's why they may were maybe were elevated a little but those guys are both in now chris weber played 80 playoff games in the course of his career tracy mcgrady only had 50 and as we know infamously never got out of the first round right and when he finally did, it was because he was like the 15th man on the Spurs in 2013 um, and you know, was not playing. Uh, Grant Hill, 39 playoff games. Again, Chris Webber, 80. And he's the reason for most of those playoff games uh, for, for his teams. Um, you asked about the stats. So let me throw this out there before I stop rambling. Um, if you go on Basketball Reference, and now that's their, their, their stat head service where you can do all these fun searches, according to my search there, so Chris Webber's, uh, career is 17,000 plus points, 8,000 plus rebounds, 3,500 plus assists. There are only 14 players in NBA history who have hit those markers, 17,000 points and 8,000 rebounds and 3,500 assists, at least in those three categories. Can I stop you players? Can I stop yeah. you there really quick? Are the other yeah. 13 in the hall of fame? Um, 10 of the other 13 are in the hall of fame. Good to know. Um, of the three that are not, one is named LeBron. <laughs> okay, so going to be. Uh, right. Uh, another of those three that's not in yet is, uh, his name is Dirk. Uh-huh, going to be. Uh, and the other non-Hall of Famer in that group is, uh, his name is Powell. He's going to be also, yes. by the way. So, okay. <laughs> so, so, Chris is and, and, amongst elite company there. Yeah, I'll give you the 10 that are already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Kareem Wilt. Carl Malone, Duncan, KG, Barkley, Bird, Kid, 
Havlicek, Baylor. So that's the group. <laughs> Those guys plus LeBron, Davitsky, Pow, and Chris Weber. You have You're me. Tell me, like that's that is that is an elite elite group, and it's not like Chris Weber like hung around a bunch of extra years, tacking on some meaningless stats, playing off the bench somewhere. Like he 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 played as long as he could, as long as his knees held up. Um, that's an elite group. And it's not, he also didn't play in some accelerated stats era, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, the game was slower for most of his time. So like, like by the way, I, 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 I upped the ante and I looked, I said, what happens if I add steals and blocks? So he finished with 1,197 steals and 1,200 blocks. If you throw those in on top of the other points, rebounds, assists, markers that I already labeled, it knocks it down to a, a group of four. And that's Chris Weber with Kareem, Kevin Garnett, and Dirk. Oh, it's absurd. I mean, it's it's a it's absurd. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, based off those numbers alone, uh, that that should tell you everything you need to know. But you talked about you brought up Howard the modern era, and we always talk about what would this player have been like. We talk a lot in Sacramento about what would Peja Stoyakovic had looked like in this modern three point shooting oh, era, man. where he could put up. <laughs> 15 of them a game and nobody would care, right? I wonder yeah. what Chris Weber, with his skill set, what he would have looked like in this modern era. Would he have been a five? Would he still have been a four? All that's up in the air. But with his complete skill set, with how well-rounded he is, I genuinely like to daydream sometimes ago, even if it wasn't in Sacramento, put Chris Weber anywhere in the modern NBA. How dominant is he? How elite is he? And does that helper, I guess, hurt his Hall of Fame case? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I, I just pulled up his uh, his career stats page because I was curious, like, all right, what about the three-point part of it? Because he never really shot a lot of them because nobody, you know, most bigs did not back then. Yeah. Um, he he averaged almost three threes a game, uh, attempts a game with Washington one year. Um, his best shooting percentage from three, actually he had a year he shot 44% his third year in the league with Washington. And mm-hmm. then he had uh, another year where he shot like 30, believe 34, 34% at one point when he split between uh, Sacramento and Philly, but like most of his career, he's not shooting a lot of threes and he's not shooting them at a particularly great rate, but we know he can shoot. Um, so in this era, it would have been emphasized. And that's what I always say about like trying to compare the eras and you know, as fraught as that exercise is. Well, you know, a guy like Chris Weber who could shoot if he were coming up in this era would have been working on that more. It, the other three would have been more important. You know, look at Brooke Lopez and the evolution yeah. of his career yeah. from classic low post big man to prolific three point shooter. Um, Weber would have adapted. He would have shot a lot more threes. He also would have had the ball in his hands more because we don't now mind in today's game saying, oh, wait, this guy can put the ball on the floor and shoot face up, do all these different things. And he's a great passer as, as, as skilled as he was and as great as his court vision was. And he averaged, you know, over four assists a game for his career. You, you would probably let him play make even more and be the fulcrum of the offense even more. Howard, are, um, are we talking about like a slimmer, faster, more athletic, basically Nikola Jokic? Is that what we're talking about? Like with the passing ability in Denver, everything runs through him, can step out, shoot that three, can score around the rim, of course, can uh, can crash the boards. Is that what we're looking at? I guess the best comparison of what Weber could do, just at least statistically, I imagine Weber in the modern era would have been a triple-double machine. Yeah, I think I think that's likely. The Jokic one is hard because like Jokic, Jokic is the best big man, uh, big best passing big man in NBA history. Yes, yes. Like I, 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 like he has surpassed Sabonis and Walton and anybody else you want to put in that category. Apologies to Vlade. Um, <laughs> Jokic's passing is just ridiculous, and Weber was a really really good passer. Uh, you know, 
period, and especially for a power forward. Um, I mean, that's, I guess, the basic mold, you know, but he would have, you know, not quite as, as passing savvy as Jokic and certainly not the shooter that Jokic is. But again, if he were coming up in this era, if he'd been born 20 years later, I think the three is something he would have worked on that much more, would have been emphasized that much more. He would have shot it more. He would have been better at it. I don't know if he, again, I don't know if he would have been at Jokic level as a three-point shooter either. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we deploy these guys much differently now everybody's got more opportunity to, if you're a big man to do guard kind of things that you, that, that, you know, the, the, the big men of yesteryear were not allowed to do. I have been telling you about built bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while. Now built bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein and high fiber, delicious tasting protein bar with hundred percent chocolate on all the bars. And right now we are doing a thing called built Bar Madness in honor of the NCAA tournament. We have a bracket of all the Built Bar flavors, and we're trying to figure out which one is the best. We are currently in the sweetest 16, and today's matchup is peanut butter versus coconut puff. Well, that's easy for me. I'm, I'm picking peanut butter over coconut puff, but my pick yesterday actually lost as coconut almond upset peanut butter brownie. So all you coconut almond lovers out there, congratulations on the win. However, you will be facing cookies and cream in the enticing eight coming up. The winner of peanut butter versus coconut puff will take on mint brownie, which is my favorite in the enticing eight. You can go to builtbar.com to vote right now or tweet at bar underscore built on Twitter. And remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off of your next order at BuiltBar.com. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. Hey, the Kings actually play a basketball game tonight. They're in Washington to take on the Wizards, and as of right now, they are two-point underdogs in this game here tonight. No surprise, and you can bet on this game at betonline.ag, the official sports gambling partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action with the NBA, college basketball, the NHL happening right now, MLB baseball, and MLS soccer right around the corner. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. You get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine bet online has you covered for all the news the scores and the odds it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you'll receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code locked on get off the sidelines get in on the action make some money even if it's on a king's loss at bet online your online sportsbook expert Everybody needs to check out this article. Read this article on Sports Illustrated right now. It's called Breaking Down Chris Webber's Case for the Hall of Fame. It's super easy to find. Even if you just Google Howard Beck, one of the first links that comes up is is a link to all of his uh, articles on Sports Illustrated. Is the most recent one. Read this through. Also, great commentary uh, from Robert Ori, which I thought was was both fun and infuriating at the same time, <laughs> just based off the history of that alone. I, 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 the Kings fans, if I don't, all I have to do is mention Robert Ory's name or especially Kings and Robert Ory in the same tweet. And I just, I get people just like coming back to me with like PTSD tweets, like, dude, don't do this it's to cruelty. us, please. Um, I know I'm sorry, but, uh, but in my own defense, um, uh, Rob's really smart about the game. He's a really good guy. I know he, I know he, 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 uh, symbolizes a couple of really painful moments in Kings history. Um, but he's also always been very analytical and, and, and reasonable about mm-hmm. um evaluating that era and so like i know if i'm at, if i'm gonna ask him about chris weber doesn't matter what the rivalry was he you know he gives me you know the real um earnest analysis about where 
Weber stacks up, where the Kings stacked up against them, all that. Like, I always know I'm going to get, you know, good, astute uh, insight from him about that era. So no, um, I, I love yeah. what he, I love what he had to say. Just his, his comments on Weber as someone who went to war with Weber in those classic Kings uh, versus Lakers series, but also the analytical background. Just everybody needs to read this article for for Ori's comments, for your uh, argument for C Web. And before we move on, because I do want to ask you about uh, this upcoming trade deadline and, and the modern Sacramento Kings here in just a second. Although I could talk Weber with you literally for hours, uh, I did want to ask and sneak in Rick Adelman is also. Uh, up for the uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame. And in my mind, an absolute shoe-in, although, of course, I'm biased. Rick Adelman, my favorite NBA head coach of all time, just an absolute legend here in Sacramento. Just your thoughts on on Coach Adelman uh, and his, his odds of being named into the Hall of Fame in your mind. Even harder to evaluate than the players, partially because, again, we don't know who's voting, how they're voting, right. why they're voting. Um, but with coaches, there's less for us to base it on, right? There's less of a statistical model other than just wins and losses, finals, championships, whatever, um, at various levels. Uh, you know, he was an innovator and he led some really, uh, you know, memorable teams, um, in Sacramento, Portland, and elsewhere, Houston, uh, the totality of his career to me suggests that, that he would belong. But again, like, it's really hard to know, like what, what is the standard for a coach? You know, there's the obvious ones, multiple rings, boom, you're in. Um, but I don't know what else they're looking for. So I, I have a hard time really, you know, uh, knowing how to, to assess that. But, um, you know, if it were me, I, you know, I'd say he's deserving, but, you know, I, I don't have a vote. I have a couple questions for you based off of this upcoming trade deadline for the Sacramento Kings. The first one has to do with Harrison Barnes. I've gone back and forth with this all season long, Howard. Uh, Coming into this year, the expectation was that the Sacramento Kings weren't going to be very good, which for the most part they've lived up to. But they've given us these spurts, right, of, hey, they they started the season 3-1, and including two wins uh, over the uh, Denver Nuggets and one win over the Phoenix Suns. Then they won seven out of eight, but then their other stretches are losing nine of of 10 and losing um or eight of nine rather and then losing uh something like nine out of 11 or nine out of 12 earlier on in the season just the streakiness the ups and downs of this king's team have been exhausting to say the least and it's made this more difficult to where i'm going back and forth the idea of the kings potentially trading harrison barnes who's having a career year it is a point of debate big time here in sacramento do you want to try and maximize his value to get assets right now or hey the king's struggle to find any kind of talent or value typically at that three spot, that small forward position. Why would you want to give that away for someone who you still have under contract for the next two years, who's who's 28 years old? Uh, where do you fall in your mind, just your national perspective, looking at the Sacramento Kings situation, Harrison Barnes here, do you lean more on that the Kings should try and uh, go to Boston and, and, and move Harrison Barnes and, and get really if they could take a a draft pick and a young player back that's a win or would you say the Kings need to either hold out and ask for a lot more or just straight up not trade Harrison Barnes everything depends on what you're getting back you know it's never as simple as should you trade Harrison Barnes should you not trade Harrison Barnes same thing with Buddy Heald it's it's always about what your what the return um what the return is because it's easy to say, look, they're, you know, the cap is clogged up. Those two guys, you know, really valuable players, but probably not at that salary. The Kings aren't really ready to win yet. Uh, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. So, 
okay, move off of them. Let's just unclog this. You know, this team, this team's at the same basic core for a few years. They haven't gone anywhere. You gotta, you gotta kind of reshuffle the deck. Uh, that's all reasonable, but you, you don't just give them away. You know, mm-hmm. they, these guys have some sort of value on the market. Now in Heald's case, especially the, the contract is a really big offsetting um, factor here. Right. You know, if he were making half that, I'm not suggesting he should be only making half that, but if he were making half that, not only would, be, would he be easy to move, but you could get real value back. You could say, well, what's Buddy Heald really worth to a contending team? You know, great shooter, scorer, um, you know, clutch time shot maker we've seen at times. What's he worth to a contending team? You can never ask that in a vacuum that does not consider his salary because of the cap and the tax and the need to match salaries and trade. It's just not that easy. So um, easy to say, you know, blow it up, send out your biggest contracts um, and, and, and keep retooling, unclog the cap some. It just depends on what they would get back. And that's the really hard, that, you know, that, that's the difficult thing to assess here. Um, you know, I talked to a couple people just in the last couple hours just to get a feel from, for, for these guys and, and what, what people around the league think um, may happen. Um, one, of the, one of the things I heard was that essentially they're, they're, like, they're only going to trade Barnes and Heald if they're blown away by an offer. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they overvalue them, but because – uh, Vivek Ranadive wants to be competitive. He doesn't want to tank. He values those two guys. And, you know, they're, they're, it's not like they're holding out for, for a, a blockbuster kind of package, but just more that they don't want to do it just to do it. They don't want to trade them just to trade them. Um, I asked somebody what they thought, you know, it would be reasonable to get for them. Um, you know, the, again, the contracts make them hard to move, but, uh, the, the thought was for either of them, maybe it's a future first and what, what, what one scout said and a half decent player plus a future first, or maybe a low first this year and a half decent player. So mm-hmm. if that's the return, if that's all you can get, then that's what the Kings front office is having to, to assess right now as well. Sure. We we'd like to move on. We'd like to retool the roster. We'd like to unclog the cap and give ourselves more freedom. We're a new front office. We'd like more freedom to, to move and, and re, re, you know, rebuild this roster the way that we think it needs to be built. But if the best you can get for Harrison Barnes is a future first. And as I say, what's a scout called a half decent player, well, maybe that's not really enough to motivate you. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge, but you know, their, their future is Fox and Halliburton and, and probably Bagley. And so, you know, everybody else you could say is, is some, in some ways expendable as you try to build a roster that fits those three. The primary motivation in my mind, trying to put myself in the head of Monty McNair, who's given very little away, which I actually appreciate after the, the Vladi Divac era, where we basically knew everything that was going on almost all the time. Uh, what we understand from Monty McNair is that what's important to him is maintaining cap flexibility because he would like to be a, a, a player uh, for a, a big-name trade or a big-name free agency signing, although based off the Kings history, that that second part is rather unlikely. But maybe a, a Chris Webber-esque type trade uh, in, the, uh, in the future, Monty McNair wants the Kings to be in a position to be able to capitalize on that. And if you hold on to both Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes, especially if you put are putting together a plan to re-sign and, and pay Rashawn Holmes. Not sure what his worth is going to be in the open market this upcoming summer, but at least the feeling is that the Kings are interested in bringing Rashawn Holmes back. And then no idea what you plan on doing financially in the future with Marvin Bagley as well. 
you easily can run the risk of capping yourselves into being an overall below average at best average basketball team and we saw McNair faced with a tough decision right away on that front allowing Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, to walk and to go uh, to the Atlanta Hawks so to me and, and based off our understanding here in Sacramento the primary motivation for moving one or both those guys is to get that cap flexibility and when I look at that to me I say well I would much rather move on from Buddy Heald than I would Harrison Barnes because one Buddy Heald's replacement is already here in Tyrese Halliburton and at least in the starting lineup, not so much in terms of skill set. And two, I look at Harrison Barnes and, and what he brings to this Kings team, how difficult he would probably be to replace for Sacramento. And I don't know if, if the Kings necessarily want to take on that challenge. I understand the win now move part of it. I understand Vivek wanting to be competitive. But how concerned would you be, Howard, putting yourself in the Kings mindset of capping yourselves into a bad team, holding on to these guys instead of maximizing or, or trying to get something for them right now and then kind of being stuck this offseason and the years to come by the way necessary footnote um how happy is everybody there now that they did not match on Bogdanovich yeah uh what a mess that's become for Atlanta yeah. uh, not that anybody could have known that but, well the, the but, most painful part of that Howard is the fact that there was a deal for Dante DiVincenzo that was uh, yeah. done and the season that DiVincenzo's been having too so it's sour grapes all around yeah I know but nobody wins everybody everybody lost on that whole fiasco you're right um, but it's because of Heald's contract that I think that they couldn't among the reasons they didn't match on Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. uh, is that they already had Heald on this, this massive, massive deal. And you just didn't want two of those and Heald was already difficult to move or impossible to move. And so then you'd have two contracts that might be difficult, um, not to, you know, to say nothing of the Barnes one as well. So, um, I, I, I didn't like them letting him go for nothing at the time. Cause I thought, eh, match it and then just figure it out later, trade him later. But you know, more and more. And again, you couldn't anticipate the injury, but um, more and more, it's, it, it's looking like that was the wise move. You're one step closer to, you know, cap freedom or cap loosening by not having yet another albatross type deal on the books. So, you know, um, every new front office wants, especially when you're taking over. And if you, if you're a new front office, you're usually taking over a bad team. <laughs> so you come in and the last group made a mess of things. You look at the roster, you assess who fits and who doesn't. You try to, to spin off pieces that you don't think are, are part of the future, especially when you've got, you know, a young star like 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 De'Aaron Fox and other, you know, really good young players like, like Bagley and, and Halliburton. Mm-hmm. You know you've got at least a good starting point. So it and, and it's not that you look at it and say, well, you know, is Sacramento going to be a free agent destination? You know, nope. most years, no, <laughs> most of the time, no. Uh, unfortunately, that's the that's where things are. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, Kirk Goldsberry at ESPN had a great piece last week uh, or was it last this week? Maybe it was this week. It all runs together um, about just all the clusters of, of stars and especially in L.A. and New York. And it's it's more exaggerated than ever. Um, but you know, free agency isn't the only way to, uh, to take advantage of cap room and just giving themselves the freedom to either add good pieces in free agency or make a trade where you're taking advantage of the cap room. Or you don't have to send out as much, whatever it may be, you want to give yourself that opportunity. So I have no doubt that they would like to move off some of these guys, even just to, to give themselves the ability to, um, to build a, a more, uh, sensible roster, but you know, if, if, if the, if the mandate from ownership continues to be, and this is where I think things get haywire with, with teams. And this has been 
part of the king's problem for a while now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it, when when it, and this is not just them either. I, I see this all the time. If the owner of a team is too wedded to the players they have, believes too much in the guys he has, and is always insisting on we want to be competitive. I don't want to tank. And you don't have to tank, right? Like you can you can just be bad and not tank tank. There's there are subtle differences between being bad and, and tanking. But if the mandate is be competitive, make the play in game, to what end? Like team, you know, most teams should not just be trying to chase the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. The seventh and eighth seed in this league are fodder. You're going to be out in the first round. Like upsets almost never happen. You like you are you are there to earn a couple million extra at the gate. Give your guys some playoff experience, which is not, you know, that's not worthless, but chasing the eighth seed or chasing a playoff berth just for the sake of chasing it, if it's not going to be building towards something sustainable and where the next year you're in the mix for the sixth seed or the top four, then what are you doing? And so, you know, there is a case to be made that maybe you should not hold out for top value for Heald and Barnes and should simply get the best deal you can and just take the opportunity to unclog your cap and start reshaping this roster sooner than later. Otherwise you go into next year with the exact same group. And why are you, you know, that goes to that definition of insanity, expecting different outcome from the same mm-hmm. actions. Like, what do you, if it's the same group coming back next year, what is the reason to believe they're going to be substantially better? We'll wrap up with this, Howard. Uh, I, I want to talk to you more, but we've already taken up so much time and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I put together a hypothetical trade with the hosts of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, and I want to run through this trade with you because <laughs> right. we have fun doing this on the Locked On Podcast Network. We do it around the draft as well, just hypothetical trades, stuff like that. Uh, and I am fully prepared for you to either love this trade, hate this trade, have very minor feelings on this trade. Whatever you feel, please share it, even if it's at my expense. Uh, but I I am not high on Buddy Heald. I actually have liked him more this season than I have in years past because this season he's made the extra effort to be a better communicator, to at least uh, make the better basketball decisions. His passing has improved. He's already been a, a better rebounder than I think people give him credit for. But as these areas of his game are improving, defensively he's still a nightmare, and his shooting is down. So how much do you want to celebrate the improvement with the fact that he's regressing in in other areas? And how much do you want to put that on him? How much do you want to put that on Walton and the King system? Regardless, uh, that's all up in the air. But I am just not very high on Buddy Heald. I would much rather see the Kings move off his money. I don't want to give him away for rags, but I I would like to see Sacramento move on from Buddy Heald. So this is the agreement that we came to. Sending Buddy Heald and Corey Joseph, as well as a, a couple second rounders um, in 2021 and 2022, to Cleveland, Sacramento would take back Andre Drummond, Torian Prince, and a heavily protected first rounder. Instead of going through all the details, I'll just basically say it most likely turns into a, a 2024 lottery protected pick and then unprotected in 2025 so i can run down my reasoning for it i've already done that on the podcast why i I would make that trade your raw reaction to the idea of trading again healed joseph and a couple second rounders to uh cleveland for drummond prince and then a a protected first so the real net for the kings here is the protected first and cap room you're you're offloading you're not resigning drummond you're letting him walk correct you clear the, you, you clear the cap room you get it you get a first an extra first a couple of years so you're trading healed for a distant first and cap room that's not bad like i'm i'm and torin prince is a wing depth. rotation guy wing depth that was the only reason sure. just add wing depth yeah he's fine he's the guy 
Um, he can play. Um, yeah, I, 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 I could see it. I'm trying like, so for the Kings side of it, I could definitely see it. It's definitely a short-term loss in terms of just talent, right? You're mm-hmm. losing healed and his shooting and depth at that position, but you're clearing the way for Halliburton to become a starter full time there. And you start to re you start to shape your future, right? If your future is a, a, a Fox Halliburton backcourt, you, you pave the way to get there sooner and you give yourself some cap flexibility. So I like that well enough for the Kings, even though it's a, it's a short-term loss and probably, I think, I think Rana Dive is over overriding you on, on that yes, one. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but I, but I actually like the thought process or, or the, the outcome there for them on the Cavs side. Who was your counterpart on the locked on Cavs? Uh, so it's, it's a couple of them, but I negotiated this uh, with a, a gentleman named uh, Chris Manning. Okay. Gotcha. So he, he, so he accepted this on the, on the Cavs behalf. So basically I threw out there when Sam Amick came out with the report um, that buddy's value or buddy's contract had basically t- destroyed his, his trade value essentially, or, or he said extremely affected it. Uh, I, I just threw out there to our locked on group chat. Hey, who's interested in buddy healed? Uh, just <laughs> let me know if, if your team would be interested. I had the, the Knicks come back to me. I had the, the, um, uh, Memphis Grizzlies come back to me, and then I had the Cavs come back to me, and then we started kind of talking, um, and, gotcha. and with the Cavs, they were saying it was either going to have to be an Andre Drummond-type deal or a combination of, like, Osman and Torian Prince, so we kind of negotiated our way to it. And this was trade machine approved? Did this go through? Yes, it absolutely okay. did. Okay, always an important consideration. Of course. Um, you know, I could see on the, on the, on the Cavs side of it, your, your counterpart, they're notwithstanding. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if Cavs ownership is approving this one. Like, healed... Look, like they've they've got two kind of combo guards playing there with with you know um, Sexton and Garland, and and so I think and and they don't have enough shooting, and so like Heald is definitely a, somewhat of a step forward just in terms of personnel for them. I, you know, obviously they've spent all this time thinking they were going to somehow get value for Drummond. I'm not sure if that's the value you were planning on to to get another big contract and a position of of need, but maybe not glaring need. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's you know there's they still are, are are you know weak up front it's like it's not really moving the needle for the Cavs. like i like it for the kings fine um if i were your Cavs counterpart i might have uh rejected this actually if i were your Cavs counterpart i don't think i would have put myself in the running for healed in the first place because i'm just mm-hmm. and it's no you know no no knock on on uh on 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 anybody there it's more just the idea that like i think that you know the Cavaliers trading for you. What's buddy 28. Mm-hmm. Is he the right fit for a young team? That's still just kind of like figuring out who they are. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for them. They're actually going to talk about that in more detail on, on their podcast today, I believe between the two of them. Uh, but I, I know the concern in Cleveland is losing Andre Drummond for nothing to the buyout market. So at least in this way, you turn him into something. Although I, yeah, I was, you turn him, yeah, you turn him into cap clock. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I told him. I'm like, yeah, you're turning him into a, a significant financial commitment over the next three years. Are you sure you want that? And they said, yeah, we, we potentially would want the shooting. So, and what was interesting is a lot of the feedback now, of course, it's fan feedback on social media. Uh, but a lot of the feedback was my, why would the Kings do this deal? The Kings are getting fleeced in this deal. And I got that from both sides, the Cavaliers huh. side and the Kings side. So it's it's very interesting to hear the conversations about this, just different perspective, who overvalues and undervalues certain talent. It's very fun. Yes. Uh, it's a, that's a fascinating exercise for that reason, but it also, you know, fan bases uh, will often very much overvalue yes. their own guys. Yes. 
Um, or if they've turned on them, they <laughs> then they will uh, severely undervalue them because they're all bums at that point. Of course, so it could go it could go either way. But uh, an interesting trade. Like like I say, I do like it from the Kings side of it. If you can get cap room and a and a future first for a contract that you just really want to unload. I, I, I think that's a I think that's a win for the Kings. Well, if I don't get Vivek's approval, but I get Howard Beck's approval, I will absolutely <laughs> take that. Howard, thank you so much, my friend, for taking the time here. Went much longer than intended, but I, I had so much fun with it. Thank you for your insight, your excellent article on Chris Weber. Uh, I hope to get the opportunity to speak with you again uh, in the near future, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about Weber finally uh, being uh, entered into the Hall of Fame as well as hopefully Rick Adelman is. Uh, but it's it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for taking taking the time. I look forward to doing it again and uh, keep up the fantastic work that you do over at Sports Illustrated. Nah, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. It was, uh, had fun as always and uh, happy to come back anytime. I get so fired up after talking to Howard Beck. Just such a great guest here on Locked on Kings. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We talked about a ton of stuff there, and I want to hear your feedback. At Matt George Radio on Twitter, you can reach me there, tweet me publicly, DM me privately, or you can email me, mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. Share with me your thoughts on Chris Weber and Rick Adelman's cases for the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on what Howard had to say about Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, and the Kings' approach to the trade deadline. Your thoughts even on the trade that I proposed yesterday That would send Buddy Heald to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I got a lot of great responses on that trade. We also posted it to social media. Kings fans and Cavs fans weighed in, and a lot of mixed reviews. A lot of people love the trade and hate the trade for the Kings. A lot of people love the trade and hate the trade for the Cavaliers. You just heard Howard Beck's comments on it. I want to hear yours. Again, at Radio on Twitter, or you can email me, mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. Enjoy tonight's Kings and Wizards game. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Plus, I do have a conversation coming up with the hosts of Locked On Bulls, where like the Cavaliers situation, I might be using Buddy Heald or even Harrison Barnes to try and get a player that I really like out of Chicago and into Sacramento. Look forward to that. Until next time, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Kings. Your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.